Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. This week's message from Lead Pastor Neil Krause is from the series, Press On. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Anyone here ever been struggling with anxiety? How many of us have I mean, been willing to raise our hands? How many of us have had anxious moments in our life where we just we, things overtake us, things overcome us, fears are in, in our face, and we just can't get our minds off of something that's causing us anxiety? You know, I I would guess that in a crowd this size, most every one of us or a lot of us have had those anxious moments. And what I want you to know today is that you're not alone. You need to know that you're not alone. Often when we are in those anxious moments, we feel like we're all alone. But you know. Um, Time Magazine had a cover story a few years ago titled Understanding Anxiety, where they devoted a whole issue to this topic because it's such a big deal and because so many people deal with anxiety. I saw another study called The Economic Burden of Anxiety Disorders. It was commissioned by the ADAA and published in the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry, and it reported these findings. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental health illness in the United States. Number one, with 40 million people suffering from anxiety, and that's just the 40 million people that have gotten treatment, that have admitted that they struggle with anxiety. It's number one, 18.1% of the U.S. adult population over 18 is affected by anxiety. Anxiety disorders cost the U.S. more than $42 billion a year, and that's almost one-third of the total mental health bill for the United States of America. So anxiety is very real. It's a very real issue in our culture. It was, it was real 2,000 years ago, and it's very real today, and that's why the Bible addresses it. We see the Bible talking about anxiety, and, and it's addressed there. So today, if you walked in here and you've been struggling with anxiety, you're going to hear from God's Word that anxiety can be overcome. Dr. Kevin Chapman is a friend of mine, and many of you remember he spoke to our church Um, on video during our stressed out series that we did this last year. If you haven't heard that, you can go online, you can listen to it. It was a fantastic series on how we deal with stress and how we can deal with stress. Um, But he he spoke and he claimed that while sometimes medicine is needed, uh, most of the time understanding and applying God's word to our lives will bring victory over anxieties and fears. And when he counsels with people, that's what he does. He counsels them in biblical ways to, to understand how to overcome anxieties and fears. So today we're going to dive into God's Word, and we're going to learn what His Word has to teach us about anxiety. So if you please stand with me. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 as we continue through this series. Last week we went up through verse 1. Today we'll begin in verse 2 and read through verse 9. And again, we always stand out of honor and respect for God's holy Word. Here's what Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit to this church in Philippi. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, 
think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You could be seated. As always, may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Now, apparently, there was some kind of disagreement within the church, and that disagreement was causing anxiety in the church body. So these two women that had served alongside Paul, and so he knew them, they were having this argument. You see, um, word had traveled to Paul in his jail cell. Remember, he's writing this letter from jail. So he's now writing this letter to them, and he's giving them and us God's counsel on how to, one, stop division when it happens, and how to, number two, overcome the anxiety that that division causes. So there's this disagreement between these two women in the church, and it's causing division, and it's causing anxiety between them and between other people in the church. So first of all, he deals with the division, with the disunity. In verse two, he says, I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And that Greek word for entreat there is the word parakaleo. And that word can also be translated as to exhort or to urge or to beseech. In other words, Paul is pleading with these two to put their differences aside for the unity, the sake of unity in the gospel. You see, people were the same then as we are today. We have differences of opinion. I mean, we could put 10 of us in a room and discuss a particular task, and there would be several different ideas on, on the best way to proceed. You just think of, of the term backseat driver and how that came about. You put more than one person in a car, and what happens? There's different opinions on the best way to get to a location, right? You know, you've got a backseat driver that's thinking, no, you should take the highway instead of the, the back roads. But if we would agree that the goal, the ultimate goal is that we get to our location safely, then it doesn't matter if you take the back roads or the highway as long as you get to that destination. So Paul is saying you need to find something that you can unify around, and that's the gospel of Jesus. So that's what he's telling them. You see in the scripture verse, it appears that their disagreement was some type of disagreement, but it was not a sin because Paul didn't take sides in it. He didn't say, this person's right, this one's wrong, you need to resolve this. He doesn't point out a sin, and what we know about Paul is that if there was sin there, he definitely would have pointed it out. That's what Paul does. He, he lets them know, hey, I see sin in the church, and this needs to stop. He doesn't say that about this situation. He just says they need to, they need to agree in the Lord. So they have differences of opinion. Neither one of them is in sin, but they, they're, they're disagreeing on something in the church. He's saying you've got to agree in the Lord. Listen, most disagreements... Most issues that come up within the church, they can be resolved with both sides being determined to be like-minded and agreeing in the Lord. You see, I can honestly say that in our seven years of existence as Forward Church, the leadership team and what is now the elders, although we sometimes have different opinions, we'll be in meetings and we'll have different opinions on, on different things, but we've never had disunity because we go into every single meeting, every single discussion with our hearts and our minds focused on agreeing in the Lord, focused on what is more important for the gospel here. You see, the gospel of Jesus is the most important thing. So we ask, you know, are we living according to the gospel? Are we united in Christ? Is the outcome of our decision, is it going to be honoring to God? Because if it's simply my opinion, if it's my preference, then I, I have to be willing to lay that down for the sake of unity. And that's what Paul's getting across to them here. He's letting them know that, that they are causing disunity in the church. And he's saying, you remember to be unified around the gospel. That's more important than getting your own way. And in verse 3, then he continues and he says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. 
Again, we don't know what the issue is. The issue is, is not important, their argument, what it's about. What is important is that they become unified. So then Paul appoints a mediator. He appoints a mediator. He says, I ask you also, true companion. And a lot of scholars think that this was probably Luke, the same Luke who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He was a companion of Paul's. They were very close. He had stayed in and ministered in Philippi with Paul. Paul doesn't name who it is, but it's someone that Paul definitely trusts, like Luke. So he appoints this person to be the mediator. He says, true companion, help these women get united for the sake of the gospel. And then he mentions a person named Clement, and we don't really know who that is. This is one of those, uh, it was a common name, probably just another leader in the church, someone else who could help out in that situation. Now, he also mentions those whose name is written in the book of life. The book of life is mentioned throughout the Bible. The book of life is mentioned many times, and this is where the name of every single believer in Jesus Christ is recorded. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then your name is in that book of life as well. So this was just Paul's way of saying, my fellow Christians. So Paul is appointing this mediator to help out his fellow Christians because this division is causing anxiety among the whole church. It was one of those situations where everybody knew that this argument was going on, that something was happening between these two women, and it was causing anxiety. It was making everyone anxious. So he's saying, we've got to pull this together, and we've got to get unified around the gospel of Jesus. So then he begins to give them a plan for overcoming anxiety. In Philippians 4.4, 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. If you have your Bibles, you may want to circle that word always. I did in my Bible. I, I do. I write in my columns. I circle things because certain things are very important. and I want to go back and remember. And you have to ask yourself, is that possible? He says always. Always. Is it possible to always rejoice in the Lord? Well, it is. Because anytime we are in the Lord, our souls rejoice. When you are truly in the Lord, you are focusing on the Lord. You are, you are trusting the Lord. You are seeking the Lord. You are trusting that He is in control, that He is in command, that He is sovereign, that He has a plan for your life. So when you're in the Lord, no matter what storm hits, no matter how dark the moments are, when you're dwelling your thoughts and your mind on the Lord and you're in tune with what He is doing, even if you don't understand what He's doing or why He's doing it, you're reminding yourself of His character, then what that does is that sustains us and it uplifts us and it allows us to rejoice in Him. Notice it doesn't say rejoice in the circumstance. He says you rejoice in the Lord. So what does He mean here? Well, the word rejoice is used over and over in the Bible and it's always connected with and rooted to being thankful for the love and the faithfulness of God. That's what it means to rejoice in the Lord, to be thankful for the love and the faithfulness of God. So I want to apply that when you start to get anxious. Let's say you start to get anxious over your finances and you're just focused on your finances and, and you're wondering how you're going you're to pay for food for the next month or how you're going to pay your mortgage or how you're going to pay your electric bill and you begin to think on that and that's, that's consuming your thoughts and you're, you're getting anxious over it. You think of this verse and you be thankful for the love and the faithfulness of God. You remember specific ways that he's provided for you in the past. You start to look to the truth of how God, he, he promises that when you have faith in him and you trust in him and you put him first, that he will provide for every need. You recall that time when a surprise refund came in the mail whenever you didn't expect it coming and it, it helped you get the groceries that you needed. You know, there have been times in our life where, you know, you put on a jacket and you put your hand in your pocket and you pull out a $20 bill and it's like, where did that come from? I know I didn't have an extra 20, but it, you know, there's ways that God provides for us when we trust in him we put him first he says you don't be anxious about provision if you trust in me i'll provide for you 
You know, I remember a time when someone blessed us with a gift card just at the right time that we needed extra money. And I believe that's God's way of saying, you've been faithful to me and I'm going to provide for you. We're to remember the promises of the Lord to care for us. He tells us in his word that he cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. How much more so will he care for us, his children? So we're to rejoice, not in the circumstance. You don't say, oh, I'm so glad I'm suffering, right? Who says that? We're not to rejoice that we're suffering or that we're going through hard times. He says you rejoice in the Lord among those circumstances. You keep your focus on him and his faithfulness. So if you're sick, you don't rejoice in the sickness. You rejoice in the fact that God is with you in that sickness and he's revealing himself to you and that he's trustworthy and he's faithful to be there for you. Listen, in every circumstance, there are two ways that we can respond. We can complain because we can always find a reason to complain or we can rejoice because there's always a reason to rejoice. God's word tells us that God is always good, and we rejoice because of that. God is always present, and we rejoice because of that. God is always faithful, and we can rejoice because of that. God always loves you. So no matter the circumstance, you can remember those things, that he is faithful, he is present, that he loves you. And then you can rejoice no matter what circumstance you're in. And when you choose to rejoice in the Lord, and you focus on his love and his faithfulness, the anxieties of this world, they, they start to fade away. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. I read this quote this week. He said, people who are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord, are not apt either to give offense or to take offense. Their minds are so sweetly occupied with higher things that they are not easily distracted by the little troubles which naturally arise among such imperfect creatures as we are. Joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. And that's what Paul was saying here. He's saying this argument between these two is causing anxiety among them and among everybody else. It could, it could go away if they would learn to rejoice in the Lord and to, to be focused around being unified around the gospel. But joy in the Lord is a continual thing that you have to choose to do. You have to choose to have joy in the Lord. That's why Paul's saying you always rejoice in the Lord. He's saying you live a life of thankfulness for the Lord's provision and you will be less likely to be stressed out. And you look at verse 5, he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So he's saying, hey, be reasonable. Be reasonable in this situation. Some of, your, some of your translations will say, be gentle. And you know, I was thinking about it. When we get stressed out, when we are anxious, I know in my life when I start to be anxious about something, then, then I have a tendency to be less gentle with those around me. When we're stressed out and focused on a situation and we're stressed out about finances or health or whatever the issue might be, we become less gracious towards others because this word can be translated gracious, unselfish, merciful, tolerant, and patient. So he's saying, imagine if every Christian, no matter the circumstance, was gracious and unselfish and merciful and tolerant and patient if we were gentle with others. Imagine how beautiful God's church would be. And he's saying, you know, this argument, this disagreement between these two women, it, it could be resolved pretty quickly if they begin to focus on the Lord, get unified around the gospel, and if they're reasonable, gentle, gracious, unselfish, merciful, tolerant, and patient with each other. You see, you'll, you'll constantly be aware whenever you're living like that, that the Lord is at hand. That's what he says in this verse as well, meaning the Lord is with you. So when we're beginning to live this way and we're focusing on the Lord, the, the things that make us anxious start to fade away because we begin to understand the Lord is at hand. And if you lived your life every single day recognizing the Lord is at hand, the Lord is with me, thank God that would change things. The Bible says that God is right beside you. The Bible says that God goes before you. 
The Bible says that God is your rear guard. He's on your left. He's on your right. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus, your Savior, when you place your faith in him, lives inside of you. He's always at hand. And if we would begin to understand that concept, we might become less anxious about things in life. You see, Jesus said he would never leave you. He will never forsake you. So when you begin to feel stressed out, you begin to be anxious. When, when personal conflict happens or you know, conflict in the family or with friends or coworkers or fellow Christians, you, you need to remember Jesus is at hand. But you know what? You tend to forget that, right? We tend to forget that he's right there with us. When you have an anxiety attack, you feel isolated, you feel alone, you feel very abandoned. It makes you feel like you're the only one going through whatever it is that you're going through. And Jesus is telling you here, he's saying, remember, I'm with you. You're not alone in this. I'm right here at hand and I'm waiting on you to come to me. So don't forget that. Jesus is always close at hand. And then in light of that truth, he says, live reasonable lives, rejoicing that the Lord is always with you. And he continues in verse six. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, it's interesting, this is a command that we do not be anxious about anything. It's not an option. It's a command in the Bible. God is saying, you do not be anxious about anything. There's going to be moments that could cause anxiety, be moments that stress will start to come, but you know what? Don't be anxious about anything. God's letting you know that if... We, we trust that he is with us. If we trust that he is at hand, he's right here, that he'll provide for me, that, that I can rejoice in him being here, and I'm thankful for his love, and I'm thankful for his faithfulness, then anxiety, it no longer becomes an issue because I'm focused on him and not my circumstance. So how do we accomplish that? That's hard, right? That's difficult. Well, we have to replace our anxiety. We have to replace our anxious moments with what he continues with, with prayer and supplication. You see, sometimes anxiety comes out of nowhere. You don't even know where it came from. You can't even explain it. It just starts rising up inside of you, and, and you don't know why it happens or, or why it's there. And Paul's saying, don't be anxious. Don't let that overtake you. Don't let that overcome you. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You see, God already knows your issue. He already knows what is overtaking you, and he's saying, I'm right here, I'm at hand. You come to me with that. You talk to me about that, and I'm going to show you that I'm here. He's just waiting for you to come to him with it. So you have to ask yourself, is Jesus the first person I run to when I feel anxious or stressed? What's your first reaction when you start to get anxious, you start to get stressed, you start to feel that anxiety taking over? It should be to go to Jesus. It should be to turn to him. But if your first reaction is to kind of freak out and, and then isolate yourself, if your first reaction is to, well, I gotta call my friend, if your first reaction is to send a text, or maybe your first reaction is, I'm gonna post this on social media, this terrible thing that just happened to me, then you need to retrain yourself to refrain from that response and retrain your, your mind to go to the Lord in prayer first. He says, when anxiety attacks, you come to me. And maybe you wonder what that looks like. It's, you just talk to him. You just go to him. Tell him what's causing your anxiety. Lord, I'm struggling. I'm stressing over this. Can you, can you help me? This situation is overwhelming me. God, I, I need you, and I trust that you're here with me, and you will begin to feel his presence supernaturally. It's amazing. He says, you come to me, and I'm going to give you a peace you can't even understand. It's something that we can't even explain. 
You go to him, you ask him for his peace to, to overcome this anxiety. You thank him for his faithfulness and his love. So what you're starting to do is you're starting to think about him more than the situation. You put your mind on God and his faithfulness towards you. And you start to remember the promises in his word that he will be faithful. And you start to remember the promises in his word that he loves you. And when you're focused on those things, then that anxiety will start to miraculously go away. You know what works for me when I start to, to get overwhelmed with things is, is I, I, I found things that work for me. One is I go outside and I run. I exercise. When I'm running, when I'm running a long distance run, I'm, I'm focused on the Lord. I'm thankful for, for the abilities he's given me. I'm thankful for the promises that he's given. I spend time praying and talking to God. Other times I go mow the grass. Mowing the grass is a spiritual moment for me. I know some of you probably hate mowing, but it's a spiritual moment for me because I got nothing else to do. I, I can't hear music or anything. So I just, when I'm mowing, I'm just praying to God. And I'm worshiping God, and I'm spending time with Him, and I'm giving Him things that are causing me stress or causing me anxiety in life. Or, or I go to a park, and I walk through some trails. Those are some things that help me. But for you, you've got to find what works for you. Maybe you go to a coffee shop, go walk your dog, go work in the garden, figure out what it is where you can spend time talking to God. Maybe you're in a situation where you can't get away and do that kind of thing, but you've got to find a way to say, okay, this situation is overwhelming me. I'm going to internally, in my mind, go to God and say, God, this is stressing me out. I need you. And he's saying, hey, I'm right at hand. I'm right here. I will comfort you. I will provide for you. I'm trustworthy. I'm faithful, and I love you. And that's what God's going to remind you of. And when you focus on those things, that anxiety starts to go away. But you've got to find how to do that and how to get your focus on the Lord and pray. And you make it known to him. And then look at what verse 7 promises. Verse 7 says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see, you're not even going to be able to explain it. It won't make sense to you that you're able to find peace considering the circumstance because there are certain things in your life that maybe have caused you anxiety that you just can't overcome. But when you start to follow what Paul is saying here and your focus is on God, you're unified around the gospel, you're seeking him, you're crying out to him, you're asking him for strength, you're understanding that he is at hand, that he's right there with you, you won't even be able to explain it. But the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will begin to guard your heart and what your mind you see, it's our mind that starts to really mess with us and we start to overthink things and we become anxious. But he says he will guard that. The Bible tells us that when we rejoice in the Lord and we thank him for his love and his faithfulness, when we live reasonable lives, when we trust that the Lord is with us and we come to him in prayer and supplication, asking him for specific things, then when we ask him for specific help, then we'll have this unexplainable peace of God. Charles Spurgeon also said this about the peace of God. He said, it is the unruffled serenity of the infinitely happy God, the eternal composure of the absolutely well-contented God. Who could use that kind of contentment and peace? All of us, right? I desire that. You need to know it's available to you. Paul's saying you can have that kind of peace. You can have that kind of contentment. This infinitely happy God, this content God wants you to have that. And you can have that kind of peace when you train your mind to think on things that are worthy of praise. You train your mind to stop going to those negative things and those things that cause stress and anxiety. And you train your mind to think on things that are worthy of praise. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about 
these things. I know for many of us, that's probably one of our favorite verses. I love that verse because it's just filled with positivity, filled with good things, filled with things that we are to think on. And you know what? When you're feeling anxiety come upon you, it's so easy to not think about things that are lovely, pure, righteous, true, praiseworthy. Right? The natural thing to do is to focus on the conflict, to focus on that person that's causing us stress, to focus on the circumstances, to focus on the fear that is overwhelming us. It's in those moments that you must train yourself to quickly think, is this true? Is what's causing me this anxiety, is it even true? And what I th- is, is what I'm thinking on true? Because that's what he says. That's the very first thing he says is whatever is true, you think on that. So we've got to look at what's true in this situation. And what we think about and how we interpret the things that are happening around us creates anxiety within us. So we have to say, Lord God, is what I'm thinking about here true? Is what's overwhelming me, is there truth to it? Or am I believing lies from Satan or the people who are trying to manipulate me? Is what I'm responding to out of stress here, is this even true? And often what we'll find is that what we're doing is we're responding to something that hasn't even happened or, or, or probably won't even happen. But we're becoming anxious over what we're fearing might happen. So if what I fear and, and I'm anxious about happening, has it ever really happened? We have to ask ourselves that. And then we have to focus on the truth of the situation that we're in. Because all truth is God's truth. And when you focus on truth, then your anxiety starts to fade away. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 10.5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see, if we're not actively taking our thoughts captive to obey Christ, if we're not actively thinking on these things that are lovely, righteous, true, and praiseworthy, then our minds are going to go to those negative things. Our minds are getting messages all day long, whether we realize it or not. So it's important to what we are listening to and what we are hearing and what we are allowing to um, consume our thoughts. You know, there's things that that happen subliminally that we don't even really recognize that are happening that put certain thoughts and fears and anxieties into our mind. You think about how how um how our minds work and how things can can kind of take over our minds is when we're hearing things and if they're whether they're true or false, they're going to impact us. You think about it, if you set your alarm in the morning to a music station and, and when um when your alarm goes off, a certain song plays, what do you do the rest of the day? You're singing that song. It's stuck in your head. You can't get rid of it. It's because that's how our mind works. What, what we're feeding into our minds is what then co- tends to kind of control our minds. So we have to take captive our thoughts. That's why the Bible talks about this so much. We have to take captive our thoughts to obey Christ. So therefore, you know, I would argue it's important what kind of music we listen to, what station you have it set to, what's playing in the background throughout the day as you have music playing. Is it stuff that's feeding lies or is it, is it uplifting stuff? Is it things that are, that are focused on Christ? Because that's going to help form the way that we respond to things. You ever just started singing a song randomly when you're out and then you realize, oh, that was playing in that store that I was in? It's because that's how our mind works. It starts to, to listen to things that are going on around us. Several years ago, I worked in a factory for a while. And I love the guys that I worked with, but several of them used language that, that I don't use. They, they, they spoke in a lot of ways with a lot of words that I choose not to, to use because they're unwholesome words. They're not useful for building others up. And they were kind of words that, that I would never want to speak from my mouth. But guess what would roll through my mind even when I'm not at work? Because I heard those words all day long. I would have those words rolling through my mind and in my thought pattern. And I had to take action to be intentional to take those thoughts captive and not let them overcome me. 
And that took work. That took a lot of work. And here's how I did that. I focused on the word of God. I focused on truth. That's what he's telling us to focus on. And God's word is truth. So Paul tells us you think about that which is pure, which means things that accurately reflect God. You think on those things. You focus on that that is righteous, that that is right, those things that please God. And we don't naturally think godly thoughts. We have to work at it because our our flesh nature, our sin nature, tends to go towards the negative and things that, that are unholy. So we have to take action and be intentional about having positive and and lovely and righteous thoughts in our mind and it takes more than simply reading the bible we have to know the bible we have to memorize the bible we have to meditate on god's word and on his truths and then we have to apply those to our life so here are some suggestions i want to give you take time to read and interact with the bible daily if you want to think on things that are true and lovely and righteous and pure and commendable, then you've got to be putting those things into your mind. So I would, I would um, hope that you would take time every single day to interact with God and his word by reading and studying the Bible daily. Take some time to memorize some verses. I know a lot of us, I'm, I'm terrible at memorization. I, I, I can't stand memorizing things, but I know the value of memorizing God's word because when I memorize his word, when I memorize scripture, then what happens is when a moment comes up in my life that something is relatable to that scripture, that scripture will pop up in my mind out of my memory database and it'll be applicable for my life. So it's so important that we're memorizing God's word so that it is in our heart and that it is what's guiding our thoughts. Discuss your day with the Lord. Talk to him about your anxiety. Talk to him about what's going on in your life. Then listen for him to speak through his word. And that's what he'll do. He'll begin to speak to you through his holy word. Take notes during the sermon at church. And then throughout the week, you reread them and look at them and study them and apply them to your life. Get involved in a connect group or discipleship group so that you can talk about God's word with other people. The more we train our minds to think on God's word and things that are lovely, righteous, pure, and true, and, and commendable, the more that that's going to be how our, our minds think instead of going to the things that are negative and ugly and impure. Because if we're not pursuing truth, then our minds are going to be flooded with what's false. So think on things that are true. Also what's positive. We've got to train ourselves to be a positive thinker instead of a negative thinker. Paul tells us that we should think about things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. In other words, he's saying you, you think on things that are that are positive, not things that are negative. Don't think about those things that are offensive and dirty and negative. And, and we have to ask ourselves, when I'm idle, when I'm sitting idle, what does my mind go to? What do I start to think about? What do I start to dwell on? Am I dwelling on the richness and the beauty and the glory of God and his goodness for me and his faithfulness for me? Or am I thinking about things of this world that stress me out and, and things that hurt and things that are unlovely, things that are ugly, things that are offensive to God? Where do our minds go to? Well, they can tend to go to the negative. And that's why we've got to train and take captive our thoughts. That, these, are, these are active words that are used in the Bible. To take them captive doesn't mean we just sit back and allow ourselves to be idle. It means we take action. And we say, I'm going to take captive my thoughts to make sure that they honor God. And that's not only true in how we think about ourselves and think in our, in our own minds about our life, but it's how we think about others. Because you think about it, in the context of this passage, Paul's talking about these two women that are arguing, right? And, and they're arguing because they disagree with each other. Imagine if they thought positive thoughts about each other instead of negative thoughts. 
as Paul's instructing here. Imagine if the way that they thought about each other was commendable and excellent and praiseworthy and honorable, just, pure and lovely. If they were thinking those ways about each other, then their interaction would probably be different. If they were focused on unity in the gospel, then their interaction would be different. The result of it would look differently and it would not have caused all of this anxiety. So I think we have to consider, you know, what is my thought life like towards others? When I think of others in the church, when I think of others at work, when I think of my neighbors, when I think of my family, how do I think of them? Now, how much time do I spend spotlighting their weaknesses versus their strengths? And this can be tough for us to think through. Because again, in our natural flesh, we tend to go to the negative. But imagine if we started to think of the positive. You see, you probably spend more time on the negative than you'd want to admit. And, and why is that? Does it make us feel superior Whenever we tear someone else apart in our mind and think of all of their negative traits, how are we better off by ridiculing and thinking negatively about others? Does it make us any better off? Paul's saying if you'll train your minds to think positively of others, guess what will happen? You're going to then treat them better. You're going to then be more unified. You'll be more likely to encourage them in those good things that you see about them. You're going to build a spirit of appreciation and oneness and unity in the body of Christ. You're going to be promoting that unity by the way that you treat others because you're thinking highly of them, which Scripture tells us. Paul's told us, right, think more highly of others than you think of yourselves. You see, we have to train our minds to see the positive and look to the good and to think on things that are lovely, righteous, pure, true, and commendable. So Paul's point is this. If you will focus on these praiseworthy things, then anxiety will not overwhelm you. But the God of peace will overwhelm you. Don't we all want to be overwhelmed by the God of peace? He's telling us how we can do it right here. He's saying that when you set your mind on him, when you set your mind on things that are lovely, pure, righteous, true, and commendable, when you trust that he is at hand, that he will, that he will take care of you, that he is there for you, that he is faithful, and that he loves you, then those fears and anxieties start to fade away. You see, what happens when we're fearful and anxious is we're focused on things of this world and we're focused on self instead of focusing on our God, our creator, the one who loves us, the one who saves us, the one who rescues us, the one who is able and the one who is at hand. When we're focused on him, then the anxieties start to go away. And what happens is we become an effective witness to those who witness our praiseworthy life, just like Paul. He lived a life worth following, and you too can live that kind of life. In verse 9, he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, Paul was a good example, and he's showing them how to do it. And he's calling us to be good examples like that as well. And the three words that I circled in my Bible in this verse is practice these things. You see, all these things take practice. We have to work at it. The Amplified Version of the Bible, I really like it. It adds these three words. It says, practice these things in daily life. Just like anything that you intend to do well, you have to practice it daily. You have to take your thoughts captive daily. You have to focus on God daily. Think about it. You want to be a good parent? You have to practice parenting, good parenting, daily. It's not enough to just birth a child and then say, I'm going to be a good parent. It takes daily practice and daily work to do that. It takes intentionality to be a good parent. You want to be good in your career? Then it takes a daily discipline to do the things that it takes to be good at what your career demands. You desire to defeat anxiety? 
and live a life worthy of praise, it takes daily practice of these things that Paul has laid out. And I can tell you from experience that my life is so much better when I daily rejoice in the Lord, thanking him for his love and faithfulness, when I daily choose to live a reasonable life, when I daily trust that the Lord is here with me, and when daily I come to him in prayer and supplication, letting him know my fears and anxieties and asking him to take them from me, when I ask him for specific help on a daily basis, and when I think only on things that are worthy of praise, only then, do I live with this peace that surpasses all understanding because I have the God of peace with me? That's what God promises. But you know what? We all slip from time to time and we get caught up in thinking on things too much and focusing on things of this world and we get into that fear and anxiety. Paul's saying, listen, when you start to do that, do not be anxious. Here's how you overcome anxiety. You see, I hope that each of you will leave here with, with peace today. Maybe you need to come to the altar and accept the Prince of Peace. Maybe you need to come and just accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the first step towards overcoming fear and anxiety because he will supernaturally rescue you from your sin when you place your faith in him. And you can have the promise of eternity in heaven with God by faith in Jesus. And that's the first step towards overcoming anxiety. You can do that today as we, as we worship. You can come and just repent of sin and ask God to, to save you. And he will. Maybe you need to lay out your fears and anxieties at the feet of Jesus. Maybe you've been overcome with fears and you've been focused on them instead of focusing on God. Maybe today's the day you need to come and just take a knee and just seek the Lord because the Lord is at hand. And he's a mighty God who can move any mountain that's in front of you. That mountain of fear and anxiety that's been overwhelming you, he will remove it. When you put your faith in him, when you seek him, and when you ask him to do it, he's faithful to do it. And I pray that everyone will walk out of here today thinking on things that are praiseworthy. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your holy word and the fact that you saw us in our sin, in our brokenness, in our fears, and in our anxiety. And you chose to provide a way for us to be rescued from our sin. You chose to provide a way that we could live this life free of fear, free of anxiety. And that way is through faith in Jesus Christ, your son. We're so grateful that you sent him to live and to die and to resurrect for us to prove that you love us so much and that you are faithful to us when we're faithful to you. So God, there's some in this room I know that just need to come and they need to receive the Prince of Peace in their life. I pray, Lord, that you would give them boldness to just come and we celebrate along with them as they bow at the altar and pray. God, there's others in this room that have just been gripped with fear and anxiety and we, we all get in those moments. Pray that today they would know that when they run to you, that you are at hand. They can lay those fears and anxieties at your feet. They can cry out to you and name those fears and anxieties specifically and ask you to take them. And your word tells us that you'll give a peace that surpasses understanding. That's our prayer today, Lord. Give us your peace as we seek you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue the series, Press On. For more information about Forward, 
giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.